Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. We've been taking a short break from our series on Dutch Sheets' book, Intercessory Prayer, to discuss his Watchman Decree. And we've had two episodes leading into this one. So today we're just going to read through it and kind of wrap this all up, and we will pick up next week with Intercessory Prayer again. So this Watchman Decree was uh, sent to us by somebody who had this come up in his feed after watching our Dutch Sheets videos. And in this video, Dutch Sheets uh, gives a kind of a rather bizarre testimony. And then he's asked to recite this Watchman decree that he has written. And he reads this aloud with this whole arena full of people. And it was really rather shocking. But we'll read it through And we will discuss our last couple of points and we'll come back with the book next week. So here's Dutch Sheets and his Watchman Decree. As a patriot of faith, I attest my allegiance first and foremost to the kingdom of God and the Great Commission. Secondly, I agree to be a watchman over our nation concerning its people and their rights to life liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Whereas we, the church, are God's governing body on the earth, we have been given legal power from heaven and now exercise our authority. We are God's ambassadors and spokespeople over the earth. Through the power of God, we are world influencers. Because of our covenant with God, we are equipped and delegated by him to destroy every attempted advance of the enemy, we make our declarations. Now, we actually discussed that preamble in the first episode, but here are the 13 declarations he made. Number one, we decree that America's executive branch of government will honor God and defend the Constitution. Number two, We decree that our legislative branch, Congress, will write only laws that are righteous and constitutional. Number three, we decree that our judicial system will issue rulings that are biblical and constitutional. Number four, we declare that we stand against wokeness, the occult, and every evil attempt against our nation. Number five, we declare and we now take back our God-given freedoms according to our Constitution. Number six, we declare that we take back influence at the local level in our communities. Number seven, we decree that we take back and permanently control positions of influence and leadership in each of the seven mountains. Now, we did list those seven mountains last week, so we won't spend some time on that. But if you missed it, go back and listen to that episode. Number eight, we decree that the blood of Jesus covers and protects our nation. It protects and separates us for God. Number nine, we declare that our nation is energy independent. Number 10, we declare that America is strong spiritually, financially, militarily, and technologically. 
Number 11, we decree that evil carries no power, authority, or rights in our land nor over our people. Number 12, we decree that we will operate in unity going beyond denominational lines in order to accomplish the purposes of God for our nation. And number 13, and we decree that America shall be saved. We know this country was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. We know the truth. Therefore, we stand for truth and will never be deceived. We will never stop fighting. We will never, ever, ever give up or give in. We will take our country back. We will honor the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. America shall be saved. Wow. You know, that last part, we will honor one, the one true God. This entire thing dishonors God. Yeah, I thought there's a lot of irony there. Yeah. How do you honor God by claiming he's not sovereign over history in any shape, way, shape, or form? And right. that the scriptures aren't honored. At least... Uh, you know, he mentions the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I would like, there's so many questions. So does America replace Israel in prophecy? You know, many of them do believe that. So therefore, what? I don't, I don't quite understand how they could say that. It's almost like they believe in some sort of literal Bible prophecy, but rather than it being in God's hands and on his timetable, it's our responsibility to bring it about. Okay, so I've written about Finney's version of working harder so the millennium comes to America. Okay. And I wrote an article about that one time. Post-millennialism is popular. I, I admit that. It's unbiblical, but it's popular. Well, and it's growing exponentially right now, especially in Reformed circles. It, it almost seems like Reformed is ditching amillennialism in, in favor of post-millennialism. I mentioned before that something like that happened in the 80s with this conference in Georgia where Dominion Theology, the Gary North, Rush Dooney version of it, okay, somehow looking to ally with a charismatic version of it. And they had some things going on in the 80s, but that bombed out. Yes. And I mentioned before, I contacted Gary North. He dismissed me as a flyer going through his window. Yeah. That's on the SWAT. How's that for an argument? I think that's ad hominem. <laughs> My 12-year-old's learning his logical fallacies. He could tell you. <laughs> the point is, it's not really from the scriptures. Right. So last week we read from Daniel what a biblical decree looks like. Yes. And anyone who's been teaching verse by verse of the Bible and looking at this and looking at what happens in the Gospels, prophecy was literally fulfilled, down to details we wouldn't have thought of. Right. Those 69 weeks lead right up to Messiah being rejected, the blood atonement, 
the fulfillment, the resurrection on the third day, the fulfillment of Psalm 110, verse 1, and then the Great Commission, which they mentioned. Then you have the gospel being preached to all the different nations. Okay. So if you're going to have enough literalness to believe that there's going to be some version of a millennium on earth, you would assume that Israel would be important. Yes. Well, and especially just looking at the, the fact that Israel now exists after almost 2,000 years. That sparked an awful lot of speculation. I think that's significant in, in prophecy, but Israel right now isn't the millennial kingdom. No, and 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 honestly, it's just another pagan nation. They're not there in belief. They're not honoring God. Actually, They're just another nation, but the existence should be significant. Significant. I had a a pastor ask to uh, this article that I wrote on the New Apostolic Reformation was translated in various languages in Israel because some of the people who are in this movement we're talking about are have gone to Israel and are wanting to def be there to defeat Antichrist when he shows up. Oh, oh dear. Okay. Well, we see that here as well. And this is really a serious confusion of categories. It's a perpetuation of an old heresy that's been around for a long time. And we've been talking about that. You know, beginning with Jane Lead and her uh, writings that are still on the internet. I looked up this websites I cited in 2007. They're still there. Yeah. There are people so devoted to Jane Lead's that Enochian walks with God and some of these claims, perfectionist claims that they take the old English and put it down there and uh, put it out there so it's still there. Same with some of these other writings like Warnock. People still rever, revere, I should say, the teachings of, of William Bradham and the serpent seed and the, the oneness idea. And this just keeps coming back. Okay. So what about the one right here in front of us? I mentioned wokeness. That's the, really what wokeness is, is a redefinition. They're against wokeness. Right. So am I. Mm -hmm. What but, is it? It's a redefinition of original sin. That's what I call it. Absolutely. And we were talking between recordings here about how wokeness really is the end result of emergent theology. Completely right. redefine original sin, and this is where you land. Right. So original sin is not being woke. Right. So... So uh, let's just let's stop for a second there. Most of us probably know what we're referring to with wokeness, but there might be some listeners for whom that is unfamiliar. Let's just define what they even mean by standing against wokeness. Okay. Well, when I was in seminary, it wasn't called that, but it was about pronouns. And then I quit going to chapel because I was just taking one class at a time. I was a full-time uh, pastor during most of that time. Okay. They'd come in and lecture us about living in the suburbs or having a house, nice house, or being white or whatever it was. Wrong yeah. with it. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And so I, back then I called it consciousness raising. That's a good definition. And one of the professors asked me, well, what does that mean? And I said, well, what do you mean by that? Well, they want us to feel guilty about the right things. Right. So now sin is about pronouns, um, believing there's just two genders. Yeah. That's that's really bad. Mm-hmm. Kind of person. But you can't repent. Or here's another one. Sin is about emitting carbon dioxide and not having enough money to buy offsets. Right. Or whatever it is. Okay. It's an absurd uh, thing. And so, good, stand against that. But making decrees that God didn't authorize you to make doesn't change it. Right. Better to debate ideas and point people to Christ. Yes. Anyone who sees this isn't going to think, well, there, they settled it. Yeah. Authority and made decrees. What what else? That that must be it. No, go into the arena and point to to the need for Christ. Yeah. Look at Acts 17. Okay. Into the arena of the philosophers and preached a biblical worldview that included the resurrection of Christ at the end, and they mocked him. Right. God draws out the boundaries of the nations. These people don't even believe that. Right. And that that comes through in different places. It's actually going to come up again in a few episodes as we get to the next chapter of the book. And he mocks those of us who believe that God is sovereign over those things. Exactly. So rather than debating ideas, which we ought to be willing to do, and then pointing to the need for forgiveness of sins. So original sin involves being in Adam. Right. In Adam, all die. Yes. Okay. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. Okay. So the idea that we should lay out there is that all persons are born alienated from God spiritually. Right. It doesn't matter what nation you're born in. It doesn't matter what family you're born in. It doesn't matter how cultured the people around you are. And it doesn't matter what race you're part of. You're in Adam. Yes. All those who are in Adam are net emitters of carbon dioxide. (laughs) All right. There's only two genders. They can get all the degrees they want, but there's still only two genders. Yeah. Born male, you're in Adam and you're spiritually dead. If you're born female, you're in Adam and you're spiritually dead. Right. Everybody everywhere is born in Adam. And that's the one corporate solidarity that the Bible says for sure. Yeah. Okay. And a lot of people deny original sin, including some of those who would hold of these other views, but it's biblical. Okay, absolutely. How are you in Adam? By natural generation. How are you in Christ? By supernatural regeneration. Right. And, you know, and that's the, you know, one of the arguments you'll hear a lot, especially on social media was, well, they were born that way. They were born gay or they were born however it was they were born. And the answer to that is yes. 
Yes, you were. That's why you need to be born again. Right. So the fact that those in Adam have lots of different sins. Right. And those in Adam are deceived. Mm -hmm. Adam are dead. Those in Adam are alienated from God. Okay. Strangers and aliens. And therefore, we need to be born again. Right. And so then what happens is that in the church, we don't bring all this baggage with us. We believe in progressive sanctification. And I've taught about that means of grace, the word of God. God changes us. Yeah. It lists a bunch of things people were. And Paul says in one of his, I think in First Corinthians, and such were some of you, but you were sanctified. Okay. Right. So a nation isn't covered by the blood. Right. A nation isn't either woke or unwoke or whatever it is that they're that they're dealing with here. They only those who turn to Christ and trust him and believe in him are the ones who have forgiveness of sins. Right. And so the fact that sinners out there are emergent or teaching that there's so many different genders we can't keep track of them. They're deceived. Yes. Okay. And once people come to Christ, they realize the real problem was they were in Adam. They were dead. Exactly. And so the way we actually stand against wokeness is preaching the gospel. So, in fact, it's so bad, the deception that comes attacking the church and gets in to people's minds that claim to be Christian, is that they say Paul failed in Acts 17. Mm Mm-hmm. And he should have gone and done signs and wonders instead. We hear that. Well, that's what this group does. Yeah. Doing, uh, following the pattern of preaching Christ, and which offends the Jews and the Gentiles, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, which I've been preaching through, uh, and 2 and 3 and so on. It's an offense. It's a scandal. But that's how God saves people. Right. Rather than going into the arena of public debate and laying out the claims of Christ and the need for repentance and faith in him, some say, well, no, that was a failure when Paul did that, even though he did preach the resurrection. Every sermon in Acts has the resurrection, the definitive proof that the gospel is true and that we don't have to die in Adam. We can turn to Christ and participate in a future resurrection. He being the first raised, showing us. Oh, no, he failed there. We need to go do signs and wonders. So that's your Dutch Sheets version. Right. And John Wimber, who is a slightly different version and so on. Fuller Seminary, all of this stuff. So the emergent just dig in and go for their social uh, utopia. The NAR digs in and takes command over everybody and everything, including God's own decrees. They make decrees on behalf of God, and he didn't send them to do that. Yeah. Okay, so they don't see their own wickedness. No. So dishonoring to God to do these things, because when you read down this list, none of this has ever happened. No. Completely in the history of America, and it won't now. Because sinners are still living on the earth. 
That's right. Okay. So how is that honoring to God to make these decrees? I don't, we don't know what's going to happen. Right. You know what happened the last time they made these grand claims once they had TV stations and things like that. In mm-hmm. the, it flopped and brought dishonor to the gospel. Yes. And I'm not saying the true Christians don't fall into sin and repent. But you know where you go. You keep hanging on to the truth of the gospel. Right. Not make grandiose claims that no one can keep. So here you have wokeness means, okay, pronouns, genders. You're, the only thing that matters is your race. And I say, yeah, are you in Adam or in Christ? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and here's here's another kind of take on this too. They're talking about wokeness as, you know, do you realize how racist you are? Well, what's true wokeness? We go from darkness to light. When was Paul woke? When the scales fell out of his eyes and he knew the truth. We can probably, most of us at least, look back at our own lives and our own testimony and see when we when we went from darkness to light, when we suddenly and and for real saw the truth of the gospel and saw our own sinfulness and our need for a savior, that's when we were woke. We saw the reality of it. Those who are standing for wokeness are actually not woke. They're in darkness. Yeah. You don't escape from original sin by uh, feeling guilty about something that's not really sin anyhow, like breathing the air. Right. As we do just to be human. So this is not helpful because somehow they think you can have a covenant nation filled with sinners that's covered by the blood and has a covenant with God, and they don't even know Christ. Right. The gospel's not preached clearly. And Dutch Sheets version, as we see, is like John the Baptist in reverse, as if mm-hmm. Christ had to diminish so that we can increase. Yeah. We talked about that earlier because we have to enforce what God wants to do on the earth, enforce or decree, not pray for the return of Christ. And there's a reason why they don't think that can happen. Yeah. So before we run out of time, we do have two more points I want to make sure we cover. So one thing that comes up a couple of times in in this decree is this idea that we can decree that we can stand against the occult and every evil attempt against our nation. And the other part, the number 11, is we decree that evil carries no power, authority, or rights in our land nor over our people. Do we have that authority over evil? No. Right. Oh, that's what, see, what this is, is one grand declaration of pride. Absolutely. And we need to cover this, and I, I'll be preaching on it here as I um, continue through First Corinthians 4, when, every couple of times a month I preach. The fact is that pride is the thing that led to Satan's downfall. Right. And pride is the thing that led to the fall, which the result is we're in Adam. Yes. In Adam, all die. Okay. Through a man came death. Prize for Isaiah 14, the Nebuchadnezzar narrative, 
who was lost his sanity and ended up realizing that God is, humbles those who walk in pride. Yes. The warning about that, the warnings throughout. And so I've never seen so much arrogance parading as supposed godliness. Reading through some of these, it just it makes me think of Jude when Michael, the archangel, refused to rebuke Satan. And yet these people think they're going to. Right. There's the pride. There's the problem. The Bible warns about this. Paul's thorn in the flesh was for what reason? For him to rely on the grace of God. Keep him from exalting. Right. So read Isaiah 14 and other passages about this. The danger that'll shoot us down is pride. Yes. Not a lack of making decrees about our authority and our rights. Right. So we have no authority over the spirit world. No. And we shouldn't want it. No, because we're not equipped for it. And that comes up in many of the epistles. It comes up in Colossians, the ones who enter in, facing taking their stand on dreams, intruding into things they don't know. And this is a huge diversion, and it's very, very damaging to the gospel. Yes. Now, staying on that idea of pride, looking at this last point, when we decree that America shall be saved, we know this country was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. We know the truth. Therefore, we stand for truth and will never be deceived. Well, there's a good way to be deceived. Absolutely. That shows they are deceived. Yes. Anyone with a sober-minded understanding that we're not perfected, um, even the Lord's Prayer. Yes. Lead us not in temptation, but into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus overcame the temptation. Right. If we can do that, we're setting ourselves up for failure. Absolutely. Paul had visions that weren't lawful for a person to utter. He was given a thorn in the flesh and to keep him from exalting himself. And we need to be sober-minded and circumspect and humble and trust God to be at work and to some of the stuff that we'll cover later that comes from this new apostolic reformation is the idea that we're the reason Christ can't come back. By the way, they believe that rather than the church being brought to meet him in the air, um, the evil ones are taken out and we're going to be the perfected bride of Christ on the earth. Some of the teachers teach that in the New Apostolic Reformation. Okay. Pride, 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 pride. Everywhere. God help us. Yes. And... Uh, some of this is word of faith heresy. Okay. Is energy independent? Well, right now it's not true. Maybe right. it was, but it's going to be a real problem because we have this folks that think that burning fossil fuels is sin. Right. The other group thinks that we can declare reality using our words. Okay. So what a bunch of confusion. Yes. Uh, it's, it's really sad. It's really not right. We don't know what's going to happen. Okay. 
do know why history goes on because God is still saving people. Exactly. Beginning of Daniel's seventh week has not happened yet. And right. this is a subversion of what the Great Commission is supposed to be about. Okay. And and that's a good point. That's something that's a good point to end on because they start this he starts this decree with the Great Commission but then completely redefines what the Great Commission is. Right. That's what led to the held in the heavens until idea that hit the news in the 1980s. Okay. Defining the Great Commission to be taking dominion over geopolitical entities. Yeah. That's not the Great Commission. It's to preach the gospel. All right. We are going to come back next week with uh, a continuation of the series on intercessory prayer, and we will talk some more about some of the names we've mentioned in these few episodes, uh, Jane Lead and William Branham and others. There's just so much to cover in this topic of the new apostolic reformation we are out of time for this edition of critical issues commentary radio you can access this episode and many others as well as years worth of articles at the website cicministry.org while you're there click on contact and send us a message we'd love to hear from you we want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel for Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramus. Bob DeWay. We'll see you next week.